0: to go into the preaching of the word today. So today's our third session. You could give me just a second. In the meantime, could you open up to first Kings 18? Like we've been in for the last day. Uh, I'm not that tall. Yes. All right. So um, first Kings 18, we went through chapter, uh, verses 20 to 29 and then 30 through 40. And now we're going to be going into that last section of this chapter, which at first sounds very, um, disconnected with what happened before, but, um, it is something that has very much to do with what God did in verses 20 through 40. So we started off just as a recap. We started off the retreat asking the question, how jealous is God and how, Uh, To what lengths will he go to bring us back to him? To what lengths will God go to confront the compromise and the mixture of our hearts in order for us to turn back to him when our hearts have strayed? Maybe just a little bit year after year when our compromise has led to maybe a never ending kind of cycle of idolatry and evil and generational sin when our hearts are slowly becoming callous. And I think that has everything to do with what we just heard that God needs to break open our heart for him to be able to do work in us. When we can't even see our sins anymore, to what lengths will he go to bring us back to him? And so in the first session, we talked about how God will divinely and kindly reveal to us the state of our hearts. He won't just let us be. He loves us enough to reveal to us the state of our hearts and to lead us to repentance and recommitment. We need our eyes to be open. All of us have blind spots. All of us don't know exactly what's going on within us. And God needs to open up our hearts and open up our eyes for us to see, oh man, like I'm not where I thought I would be. Or how did I get all the way out here when I thought I was walking, you know, straight here, but all of a sudden I find myself here. How did that even happen? And so God needs to reveal to us the state of our hearts and then lead us into repentance and recommitment. Then second session, pastor Caleb talked to us about how, God needs to reveal to us his power and lead us to a fresh encounter with him and how that brings about revival, how that brings about true worship. He shared a little bit about his story and his story, man, it makes no sense unless you factor in the Holy Spirit. It makes no sense unless you understand that God is able to interrupt your plans. God is able to hit the brakes on your life and deal with your heart and then turn you around and give you a completely new life. His testimony makes no sense unless you understand that God is in the business of turning lives around and encountering people in a fresh new way. And this last session for today, we're going to end with... You know, once again, the question is to what lengths will he go to bring us back to him? We're going to see how God will reveal to us his calling and lead us to persevere in our assignment. Persevere in our assignment. Now the background to you know, the, the passage that we read, we have, what we haven't talked about yet, we talked about how Israel had kind of fallen into idolatry and how year after year, generation after generation, they were kind of you know, making little allowances here, you know, kind of like tolerating things here and there. And all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they don't even know whether Baal is God or Yahweh is God anymore. Where when they're confronted by the, by Elijah, he's like, if Baal is God, then worship him. If God is God, then worship him. And they're like, wait, what's the answer to that? Like, I don't even know anymore. They had gone to that place. But what we haven't talked about is that in the natural, what was happening is that they were in the middle of a three-year deep drought. A three-year deep drought. This wasn't just... You know, like something happening in the spirit, but also in the natural, we see that they are in the middle of a drought. And one chapter before that, Elijah was the one to actually say, until we get right back to the Lord, the heavens are going to shut over this nation. The heavens are going to shut over us and there's going to be no rain until we get back and right with the Lord. So he closed the heavens over an entire region and God would not open up the heavens again until they got right with him. And this is another picture of how, you know, we can understand what effects our idolatry can have. Sure. You can have your idols, but the heavens are going to be shut over you. We see this in the natural and we see how this is a picture of what happens in the spiritual. God is patient, but he will also intentionally mobilize circumstances around you to remind you that you need God. And that is his grace. God will do what you feel, what you think feels like sabotage almost. He's going to shut the heavens over you to wake you up to your spiritual state until you get right back with him. You're going to learn that you need God. And so because of their idolatry, an entire region experienced extreme drought. And they were at the three-year mark. And so now as we go into 1 Kings 18 verses 41 through 46, we'll see what God does through Elijah after the prophets of Baal are put to death. So God dealt with the spiritual side of things, right? And then verse 41, it says, and Elijah said to Ahab. Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said to him, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he's gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab. So faster than a chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. And so the title of today's message is praying for the rain, praying for the rain. Now it feels like calling down from heaven, like a fire of God to consume a sacrifice in a showdown between Yahweh versus Baal. It feels like it has nothing to do with this part of the story, calling down rain on a drought, but it is actually very much connected. Like Pastor Caleb said yesterday, Baal was a God of rain and fertility. And it was as if Elijah were once again saying to the prophets of Baal, actually, no, actually, no, Fire falls at his word and rain stops as it at his word and rain starts once again at his word. Yahweh is the one true God. He is the true, truly the one who has fire in his hands and the one who has rain in his hands. Yahweh is truly God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you guys, you know, ever been in a, in, in a place that is drought stricken I know there's certain areas of California that go through that sometimes there's, you know, if you've been to the Middle East, there's areas that are just, you know, like, like the, the ground is cracked. Like it's, it's been decades since it's seen rain. Um, are there any, um, like nerds from high school? Who was a nerd in high school? I was a nerd? Ah, oh, very unashamed nerd. Yeah, I was. I was a nerd, and I wear it with pride. There was, you know, there were. One of my favorite subjects in high school was um, English and literature, and one of my favorite authors was John Steinbeck. Who, who here has read John Steinbeck? Okay. All right. Oh, that was a very enthusiastic hand. I like that, Sarah. So John Steinbeck, he is, you know, a very serious, somber, you know, author. And he has like incredible, incredible books. If you guys have not read Of Mice and Men, you have to go read it. If you guys want a little, something a little bit thicker, you go, go for Grapes of Wrath or East of Eden. They're like incredible, incredible books. I'm sounding so nerdy right now. I love it. Um, but here's the thing. Many of his stories, they take place in the Great Depression era. Where famine and drought was all they knew. Right? And the way that he describes this world, this world of of drought and never ending drought, it paints a stark and unromanticized picture of drought. Just how chalky and dusty the soil was. There was no moisture to keep it together. How unforgiving the steel sky was. Not a cloud in sight the effect that the famine had on the soul where entire families subsisted on maybe like one potato or one slice of lard for days, how people were malnourished to the point of despair where they actually needed to leave their property and head out West because there was nothing left for them to eat there. The way that you would see generations and generations and generations of people just see like the despair in their eyes and the desperation in their eyes and the hopelessness in their eyes where there were stillborn births. There were early deaths. There was hopelessness in the eyes of mothers, desperation in the eyes of fathers, listlessness in the eyes of children. This is the kind of picture that you see depicted in this great, de- uh, great depression era. Now, maybe maybe, All of us, maybe we haven't gone through this in our lifetime in the natural, but at the spiritual level, this might be something that we might have experienced. You know, when our bodies might be okay, but our souls are parched when it's been years since we felt the touch of God, when it's been a long time since we've heard his voice or felt his closeness, when you feel like the heavens have been shut over you for years. This is what David in Psalm 63 describes as my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's how he describes it. Now I... I remember talking with some people, you know, who I was talking about the history of New Philly uh, a little bit yesterday morning and about how we were experiencing legitimate revival at a certain point in our history where it didn't actually take much to actually feel the spirit of God in our midst. And even someone who was a skeptic like me, I would step into the sanctuary and immediately feel, man, there's something different about this place. there's something different that these people carry. And even for a skeptic like me, it was undeniable that the spirit of God was there. And I remember just talking with some people who experienced New Philly at that time and who later, you know, moved on with their lives and they went back to the States or moved back to Canada. And I remember catching up with them maybe two years after they had moved back. And I was asking them, you know, how you're doing and, um, you know, have you found a church and a community for you to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, set your roots in. And this, I remember very clearly, um, this is something that they said, you know, like I visited so many different churches and so many different ministries and they're great. You know, there's obviously no perfect ministry. And there's nothing, you know, that you know, there's never going to be a church where you walk in and, okay, everything's perfect. The, the preaching is perfect. The worship is perfect. The children's ministry is perfect. You know, their commitment to the gospel and evangelism is perfect. There's not never going to be a church like that. And I know that. But there's one thing that I have not been able to find. And it's something that is so important to me because I've tasted it before. And that is that spirit of Revival. And it's like when they were telling me, I think up until then, they were just saying, man, it's been really hard. And when they talked about about that spirit of revival, that closeness of God, they started tearing up. And they were saying, there's just nothing like it. And once you've tasted that, it's like, it like ruins you in some way. Like you need it again. Like you can't live without the presence of God. You can live without a lot of things. But that's just one thing. Once you've tasted it, it's like... Where else can you go? Like you, you need that closeness of the Holy spirit. And they were, you know, they were tearing up as they were saying this because they knew that there was just something that they had experienced and have since lost, have not been able to find again. And until they find that once again, their souls cannot fully rest until they find that once again, they're always going to be yearning and looking and searching for it. Because it was something so real and so life changing that, man, you can live without good preaching. Maybe you can live without good music. Maybe you can live without good. You can fill in the blank. But man, when it comes to the presence of God, that is just the non-negotiable. Like I, I, having tasted that, I just, I can't live without that anymore. It's ruined me. It's created an appetite in me that now needs to be satisfied. And until I find that it's just hard to be able to settle anywhere, it's hard to be able to be satisfied anywhere. I need the presence of God once again. And that is, you know, the kind of that is the kind of appetite that 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 the spirit of God and the revival of the Holy Spirit will create in a human soul. If you've tasted and seen God's goodness, you need more. Like you can't have enough of it. It's not like, all right, that's enough revival for today. It's like, no, I need more of it. It creates this craving within you. The more you have of God, the more you want of him. And that's how we were designed. This is how we were hardwired. Now, for those of us who have experienced some amount of breakthrough within the last day. Some of us might have experienced, you know, breakthrough in the area of forgiveness. Some of us might have experienced the presence of God for the first time in a long time. Some of us might hear the voice of God for the first time. Whatever this personal breakthrough you've experienced in the last day, I'm going to ask you a question. What can this individual revival lead you to? So what's this about? What, what is your personal, for example, I was, you know, I was at the altar last night as well. I was like, this is not a moment for me to be a pastor. I'm taking off my shoes and I'm, you know, bowing low before God. And I felt like God was meeting me in a fresh new way. And I know that I needed that. Like I needed that desperately. And I woke up this morning and I'm feeling like that was very real. That was very, you know, it did something in me, but is it just going to end at that? like a great moment at the altar, like a great moment of revelation, like, wow, Susie was able to meet the Lord once again, period. Is it just going to end at that? Or is there something bigger that God is leading us to? Because your blessing, just like we were speaking today, when we were talking about testimonies, your blessing is not just for you, whatever, you know, you received at this retreat, it's not just for you. It's not just to bless you as an individual, although that is there. It is for something even greater. We see in this story that by this point, the people of Israel now have a fresh revelation of who God is. They saw with their own eyes fire coming down from heaven and consuming on the altar a sacrifice that was drenched with water. They saw it and they're like, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They have revelation. But the entire region doesn't have that revelation yet that he is God. And God takes it a step further. It's not enough for the people of God now to be reminded that he is God. An entire region needs to experience that God. God, he's still so powerful. God is greater than Baal. God is greater than Asherah. It wasn't enough just for the people of Israel, the small people, to get that revelation. Now the revelation needs to go further. For people maybe that don't know him. For people that don't know his name. It wasn't enough for the people of Israel to see fire falling down from heaven. An entire region is about to experience rain in the middle of a drought. Let me ask you a question. And this is not a rhetorical question. What do you think that New Philly as a church has been preserved for? What do you think we've been preserved for as a church? Because we've been through some ups and downs. We've been through a lot. We have a lot in our history. And let me tell you, I've been through different experiences. And I've talked to enough pastors to know that what we experienced, even in the recent past, just four or five years ago. Most churches don't make it through that. You guys know that, right? Statistically speaking, we should not have made it through it. We really should not have. Statistically speaking, one of two things happened. There's a church split or there's a church closing down. That's what was in store for us, statistically speaking. And I remember there was a point, you know, as we were going through, you know, the hardships about four or five years ago, when I was pleading with the Lord Lord, you need to do whatever it is that you need to do, but do not take away your lampstand. You know, in the the book of Revelation, when it addresses the seven churches, it says, those who have an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And connected to that is this this warning of, if you do not heed, I will come and take away your lampstand. And that was weighing so heavily on me during that time. And so my prayer during that entire season was, if it means that we're going to be the laughingstock, you know, of... Of all churches here in Seoul. Then so be it. If we need to swallow our pride. And have a big old slice of humble pie. So be it. If it means that we're going to go from 600 to 50. So be it. If it means that we're going to have people. Leaving left and right. So be it. If we need to close down campuses. And let go of buildings. So be it. The one thing. The one thing that we cannot afford to lose. Is that lampstand. And so God. Do not spare us. Do not try to, you know, spare our feelings. Don't try to sidestep the things that we need. Do whatever it is that you need to do, but do not take away that lampstand. And God was very kind and very compassionate towards us. And we can find ourselves here five years later, and we're still a church. It it actually... Shocks me every once in a while when I think about it, philly 's still here i don 't know how that happened. like this church is still here we 're still gathering we 're still worshiping god we 're still reaching people. God, for some reason, he chose to preserve us, and I believe that it 's not just for the sake of susie 's prayer it 's not for the sake of even just this small community. I believe that God has a calling for this church. And there's a very particular reason that He has preserved us. Because if we have nothing to contribute to the larger body of Christ, can I be very honest? I'm very okay with New Philly closing down. I've been through churches closing down before, and it's okay. Life goes on. There's other churches to go to, it doesn't mean that the kingdom of God has failed. I'm very okay with New Philly closing down if that had been God's will. You know, before New Philly, I actually was at a church back in the States. And New Philly is not the first church where I've experienced massive hardship. My previous church went through, I would say, something even harder. So New Philly was traumatic, but... I've been through some stuff in my previous church. I can't go into detail, but just to kind of give you an idea the caliber is our lead pastor ended up doing jail time like that caliber. And I was like a 20 some year old at that time an intern pastor kind of like second in command and under them. And it was like the world came crashing down and it was probably the hardest two and a half years of my entire life. And, Even harder than what we went through in New Philly. You know, it was... I was a 20, like, what? 25, 26-year-old. And I didn't know what in the world was going on. And I felt like, you know, the world was crumbling. And somebody, like, just pulled out the rug beneath our feet. And for a 26-year-old to deal with, like, talking to college students, parents, who are like, what is going on? Your church is showing up in the news kind of thing. I'm a (laughs) 26-year-old. Like... uh, It was insane, but after two and a half years, you know, we did all the healing work that we could and you know, we were ill prepared for that kind of hardship and you know, God walked us through with such kindness, but at the end of the two and a half years, we fasted and we prayed as as a leadership and we said, I believe this is what God is calling us to do. We're going to close down the church and that was God led. It wasn't giving up on something. It was God led. And looking back at that, I I don't have any regrets. I feel like we did the right thing. I think we were faithful to our assignment. And when it was time to close down, that was probably the hardest thing that we had to do, was close down something that we loved so dearly, something that we had fought for for so long. And so, believe me when I tell you, I'm not afraid of closing down a church. I'm not going to do it. Relax. (laughs) People looked at me with eyes like, wait, are you trying to say, no, no, we're not going to close down the church. But I'm saying... If it comes down to that, I'm not scared of that. It's God will continue to advance his kingdom one way or another. And so I'm not so enamored with New Philly where I'm like, it has to be New Philly. But here's the reason why I believe that God called us to continue to fight for New Philly. I believe that there is a very significant calling that New Philly has in the body of Christ. I believe that there's a contribution that this body has to give to the larger body of Christ. And I believe it has something to do with praying for the revival, not just for our own personal lives, not just for our community here, but for a revival that's going to affect an entire region. So here I am thinking, man, like God has been so kind to me and he's met me in so many different ways just in the last 24 hours. And I can't just stop there. I can't just stop at thinking, man, God was so great, but uh, I guess this is it. This is it. This is, this is all there is. I believe that this is a step towards something greater that God is after and God is calling this community to, and it's going to take a fight. It's not going to be enough just to see fire. Now it's going to require us to go up a mountain and pray seven times for the rain to come. Not just for my blessing. I've seen God already. I know that he is God. Now it's going to be for entire region to be able to see that he is the Lord. It's going to require a fight for us. There's three different ways in which I believe God is going to. Ask us to press in and fight through the first way I believe is he's going to call us to fight through the loneliness of contending for something fight through the loneliness of contending for something. And it's not even for yourself. You're contending for something for someone else, but there's going to, it's going to require a fight through the loneliness You know, Elijah, you know, a few verses back, he said, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Can you imagine? It's a lone person standing up against 450 men who are, you know, prophets of Baal. And it's not just them, also prophets of Asherah as well. It's one person against all these people. And in his mind, he's like, there's, there's nobody who's going to stand up for God. Now, here's the thing. Here's a very interesting thing. God had preserved about 7,000 men that still did not bow to Baal. I find this very interesting. I was like, when I was reading the passage, I was thinking, why didn't you call the 7,000? Why just call this one guy to like stand up to 450? That makes no sense to me, man. If God could, could, you know tap Elijah on the shoulder and be like, now's the time to go show yourself to Ahab. What happened to the 7,000? 7, 7, what happened? They still were just as committed to the Lord. They were still not bowing down to Baal. They were still on the run. They were hiding and, and running for their lives, but God did not tap them on the shoulder. He just tapped Elijah on the shoulder. And this can mean two things. One is there was a battle that Elijah needed to fight. And that was his battle to fight. Have you guys ever been through something where you feel like no matter how much prayer support you get, no matter how much advice you get from different people, no no matter how much people are walking alongside you, at the very, you know, at the very depths of your heart, you know that this is a fight that you need to fight. You can get help. You can get support. But this is a fight that you alone need to fight. The labor needs to come from you. The battle needs to come from you. And and you feel that at a certain extent. And there's something about that situation that makes you feel so alone. It makes you feel like there's nobody else who's going to do this. Like there's, I can, I can lean on people. I can ask for help. I can ask for prayer. But at the end of the day, this is going to be a a battle that I'm going to have to fight. I'm going to, I'm going to have to fight. Nobody's going to do the fighting for me. This is one of the things it could mean. And the other thing it could mean is he thought he was alone. But there's 7,000 other people who are still, you know, they're so faithful to Yahweh. They have not bowed before Baal. They're interceding for Yahweh to have his day. For God to break in into a wayward nation. It's going to require you to fight through the loneliness. There's going to be things that you're going to be contending for where you feel all alone. And this is something that... Maybe if I can call somebody out, I believe that this is something that someone like Pastors Caleb and Mina can actually, you know, resonate with. You know, there's something that I know a lot about them, too. But if there's one thing that I know for sure, and I've known this for a long time, is that they've been crying out for revival for this nation year after year. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that through the dryness. They've been praying for that. Even when we were going through a really hard time as a church, even when people were leaving, even when we didn't know how we make it through the next year, they've been praying for revival for this nation year after year. And I wish I could say like, man, I'm with you guys, but I wasn't with them. I was just trying to stay afloat. You know, I was trying to, you know, survive, but just seeing pastors, Caleb and Mina press in for, a breakthrough that is not even for their own personal gain they're they're crying out for something that they're and they're battling for something that it's going to require them to stay steadfast when they feel so alone in the battle and that is something you know that i really admire about them seasons change circumstances change and yet they've been so steadfast in that Heart cry to cry out for revival for this nation They've had to fight through many seasons of loneliness Where they feel like no one else is doing this. No one else is crying out for revival anymore No one else is hungry for the presence of god. No one else is crying out for lost souls And yet they've been faithful to it year after year and they've had to fight through that loneliness The second way that we need to fight is fighting through a hopelessness you know when Elijah goes up to the mountain, and he prays to the Lord, and he says he tells his servant like, "Hey, go go up now and see, you know, that if there's any clouds." And the servant comes back and says, "There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. Seven times, there's nothing." Over and over again, the statement of there's nothing, nothing is happening. Your prayers are not bearing fruit. I don't know what it is that you think you're doing, but nothing is moving. God is not listening to your prayer. doesn't matter how many times he asked me to go out and then come back in. There's nothing. It's kind of like what pastor Caleb was saying yesterday when he was waiting for his food delivery. He went down. he's like, there's nothing. Where's the food delivery? And then he went back out again. There's nothing. And it, it happened to be that it was being delivered to a different building right? And so it's almost like the same, like, Hey, can you go out and see, make sure that the food is here. And somebody goes at it. No, the food's not here. All right. Can you go again? The food's not here seven times. And you have to fight through the hopelessness of really, maybe there's nothing. Maybe there is nothing. Maybe God's not going to pull through. Maybe he did this fire stunt and he's done for the day. Like he's not going to do the rain thing in a day as well. Maybe like that was enough. And maybe I need to be satisfied with that. But he had to hold fast a promise of God that said, when you pray, I'm going to open up the heavens over this region and I'm going to break the drought on your word and the mouth of the prophet. I'm going to seal up the heavens and I'm going to loose the heavens. He had to hold on to that promise and push through the hopelessness. What if he had stopped at number six? What if you had been like? All right, six times is enough. This is embarrassing enough. I'm sorry, servant. I won't make you go out again. What if you had stopped at six? He had to fight through the hopelessness. Maybe nothing's happening. Maybe nothing's happening. Maybe my prayers are just, you know, wishful thinking and I'm praying it out into thin air and nothing's really coming of it. And I'm sure we as a community, as we pray for something bigger than just men, can you encounter me, God? Or, can you encounter us at the retreat when we start going into territory of praying for revival for a nation, praying for revival over a city there 's going to be many times that we 're going to hit that wall over and over again, first time, second time, third time, fourth time man revival 's not coming man revival 's not coming god 's not coming through he 's not answering prayer it doesn 't matter how many times we meet doesn 't matter how long we pray for it doesn 't matter how ardently we pray for nothing 's happening nothing 's happening nothing 's happening seven times. We're going to have to push through that sense of hopelessness and we cannot stop in number six. The third thing is we need to fight through the tiredness. So he asked the servant to go out seven times. Now, seven times is not a magical number like, hey, I'm going to ask for this thing from God. Okay, that's the first time. And tomorrow it's going to be the second time and the third time. And by day seven, God is going to answer me. It's not a magical number in that way. In the Bible, it symbolizes completion. Number seven is the number of completion. This is what God is saying. You pray it through to completion. Don't stop at six. Don't stop at five. You pray it through all the way to the end until you're done praying for it. You know, it's so interesting how even the posture that Elijah was in as he prayed, it's you guys catch that in in, in what we read. He put his face between his knees. How do you pray like that? It's it's very uncomfortable. Can you picture it in your mind? It's a little uncomfortable, right? Yes. The whole point is this is a birthing position. Did you know that? It's a birthing position. Spiritually speaking, he is praying and birthing something forth in the spirit as he perseveres through the loneliness, as he perseveres through the hopelessness and the tiredness. And he prays it through all the way to completion. He is giving birth here. Imagine, you know, some of our, you know, mothers in our congregation. Imagine after like you're, you know, you have to get all the way to you know, I'm I'm not going to get into detail, but yeah. What if halfway through the labor, you're like, all right, I think I'm done. I think I'm, I'm just going to call it. Like, I I think we should just pack up and go home. I think we're done. That's not an option for pregnant woman. You are going to give birth that day one way or another, and you're going to pray it through. You're going to push through until that baby comes out. This is not an option for it to just stay in there. Right. You're going to have to, man, I've heard of women who go through like 38 hours of labor. I don't know how you do that, but if it takes 12 hours, if it takes 20 hours, if it takes 30 hours, however long it takes you, you're going to birth that baby. In the same way we see here, prophet Elijah getting down on his knees, putting his face between his knees and saying, I'm going to pray this through until I see it come to pass. This is a promise that God has given and it can take me one time, two times, three times. It's going to take me seven times, but I'm going to finish it to completion. I'm going to pray it through until I see the breakthrough of God. We need to pray it through to completion. When we're contending for more than just a little bit of Holy Spirit here a little bit of breakthrough in my personal life here. When we're contending for something more than that, it's going to require a different kind of fight. It's going to require a different kind of muscle. It's going to require a different level of faith. And so when, if we are pressing through just four new Phillies revival, great. I think we're kind of almost there. Cool. But if we're going for something bigger and God's not just after the blessing of, this little community called New Philly, God actually wants to do something much greater. That's going to affect the city. It's going to affect the nation. Then we can't just be satisfied with, Oh, we got a little bit of Holy spirit this weekend. Cool. We can go home now, like we're done. We can't be satisfied with that. I believe that God has a calling and God has an assignment for this church in particular. And it's not just for your sake, not just for my sake. It's for the sake of the region. And this is maybe something hard for us to believe when we look at ourselves and we're like, what good can just, you know, 60 people, what good could 70 people really do? What difference can that make? Do you know it only took one man? It took one man to pray through. It took one person to contend all the way through seven times to see the rain come down. If God can do that with one person, how much more with 60 or 70? How much more can God break through as we commit ourselves to press in? And as we ask for not just our own little blessing, not just our own little Holy Spirit party, but we ask God, this is not enough just for us. We know that you want something more for this region. We want something more for this generation. You want something more for this city. This is something that, You know, I, I've been sensing more and more this year. Maybe I've just had more space for it. Um, I think we are coming out of that season of like, okay, we just need to heal as a community. We need to get right. We need to make sure, okay, everybody has all your limbs and like, everybody's good. Okay. We're good. Cool. Okay. I'm checking in on everybody. Is everybody okay? We're kind of walking out of that kind of season now into a season of, okay, we've been preserved now for what? What is the calling that God has for new Philly? Why why have we been preserved? God could very much have just shut this down and just redirected us to different churches and the, the kingdom of God would continue to grow. And that's okay. But I believe that God has preserved this church, this community for a very particular reason. And I believe that it has to do with revival. It has to do with a community that is not just willing to say, Lord, you know, I'm committing myself fully to you. Would you have all of me? It's not just about my personal relationship with God. It's now that you have all of me. Would you use me for your glory? Would you use me? Don't let my life go to waste. Don't let my devotion go to waste. Don't let, you know, my whole heart and it go, go to waste. Would you use me for your glory, for your plans and for your purposes? It's not just for my blessing. It's not just for my breakthrough. I've been feeling like God has been putting that more and more in my heart this year. It's, I know that this is very supernatural because in the natural, I have no, you know, I have my, my heart doesn't lean in this direction, but starting this year for a very mysterious reason, I've been getting more and more of a burden for the young generation in Korea. And I don't know where it's coming from. I'm like, I don't know anybody. I don't, I barely speak Korean. What do you mean? I'm not even connected to Korean people. Like, like I'm as much in a bubble as I can be sometimes And. But I know that it's coming from somewhere because it's not coming from me for sure. i been feeling God giving me more and more of this burden. Like, who's gonna carry this burden? <laughs> who's gonna reach the younger generation with a gospel? Like who's gonna be there? Who's gonna be I, I feel this like so strongly in my spirit. And see, see, I'm crying. I don't know why I'm crying. I don't know. I feel like God's spirit is saying, Who's gonna carry this burden? I'm aching and I'm jealous. For the young generation, who's going to go? Who's going to preach? Who's going to reach? Who's going to open up their hearts? Who's going, to be, who's going to go beyond just taking care of your own needs and now reaching for a generation? Who's going to do it? And I feel that jealousy in God's heart. And it feels like it's kind of dropping out of nowhere. And I can't shake it off. I don't know where it's coming from. And I think it's the Holy Spirit. I think he's calling us to, at the very least, begin to pray for it at the very least, begin to feel a burden for it. How many of us here are teachers? We ha- you know how many years we prayed for the youth and we're like, open up doors, open up doors, open up doors. And then Monday comes, is like, oh, it's just a job. <laughs> you know? <laughs> open up doors, God, man. Reach the young generation. We have open access to the youth of this nation. Do you guys realize that? Monday through Friday... You get to be in the midst of a mission field. This is what we've been crying out for for years. You get to be in the midst of people that might never hear the gospel, might never feel the love of the father. And you get to be there Monday through Friday. And yes, it feels terrible at times. I know. And it feels like, man, Lord, just take me out of this. But could it be that he's answering our prayer? Do you know that, you know, if, if we weren't English speaking, we would not have any access to the youth of this nation. We wouldn't. They're all kind of like tucked away in academies. They're all tucked away in like clubs. They're all, they go from school and they go straight to, you know, their, their, uh, extracurricular activities or their clubs. And you barely see any young people at a certain age. You know, that by virtue of the fact that we're an English speaking community, we've been given open doors to the youth of this nation. It's like this nation is saying, come, come in come have our kids that's what it's saying and we're like oh man this job sucks oh man this is so hard to work here and i know it is i'm not trying to minimize that but what i'm saying is like could it be that this is an open door could it be that god is giving us that you know we are praying for man open up doors open up a way where there is no way lord god would you part the waters lord god would you make a way and god has made a way and god's like monday through friday hello Like it's, it's there. You have it right in front of you. You're the people you're trying to reach are right in front of you. Could it be that God is giving us that kind of access? God is giving us that kind of trust even to be able to speak into the youth of this nation. I'm, I don't think, I don't think that it's a, it's, it's a coincidence that the vast majority of us here are surrounded with Korean kids most of the week and that this is our nine to five, that this is what God has called us for in this season. And I know it's hard, but man, it's an opportunity that many people do not get. And it's very rare to find a community that not just speaks English, but also loves Jesus passionately. And they're carrying that light to the youth of this nation Monday through Friday Week after week, day after day. I feel like that, that we cannot minimize how important that is because sometimes when we get into the grind of work, we're like, ah, I'm just living for Friday. Like I'm living for the weekend. Like come on Friday, just get here. I'm living for my paycheck and we're seeing our lives go by and we're not seeing like God's like, Hey, I'm giving you the youth on a silver platter. I'm giving it. It's like dropping on your lap and you're getting paid for it. You know, I'm giving it to you. Will you do something about it? Will you do something about it? Or is your Christianity just going to stay in the Sunday realm and maybe on the Wednesday night realm and maybe Tuesday night realm? Or is it going to bleed into your Monday through Friday as well? And so I believe that God is giving us those kind of open doors that we cannot think are unrelated with the rest of our lives. They're not, uh, it's not unrelated to our spiritual walk. It's not unrelated to what we're even doing here this weekend. God is giving us a heart to once again fully give ourselves to him. And now what? It's not going to just be, hey, we had a great retreat. Hey, we had a great weekend. Hey, that was a great sermon. Hey, that was a really neat altar call. It's, it can't just stay there. It can't just stay there. Oh, I would rather not have retreats than it's, it's If it's just a blip, it can't just stay there. It needs to bleed into the what now. What is God calling me to now? What is God calling our community to now? I believe that God has a calling for New Philly. I don't think he would have preserved us in the supernatural way that he did otherwise. I really do believe that God has spoken promises over this community, and they haven't been derailed just because we went through hardships in the middle. I don't believe that we've disqualified ourselves from what God has promised for this community. And I believe one of the key things that God has called us to really reach for and strive for and fight for is for revival to break out.